and welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike tried his coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny Jason Stark <laughs> is against humanity. Take away the human elements of Starkville. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic. As always, I'm joined by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, Doug Glanville. And Doug, if all goes well, we're going to see something this week we haven't seen for. All right, let's see now. I need to calculate this again. I, I, I believe it's 111 <laughs> days. We're going to see actual baseball players in uniform working out on a baseball field, getting ready to play a 60-game baseball season. So, Doug, does that thought fill you with inspiration or trepidation <laughs> or maybe a little of both? It's a little of both, but I'm ex- I'm excited. I'm I'm trying to you know not be so practical about all the concerns, but uh, it's been a long time, and and baseball, uh, you know, well certainly had such a great opportunity before their negotiations went so far south. But at least uh, you know it's like they're past that for better or for worse. But at least the games are upon us, and uh, just hopeful that we don't have any major health setbacks. It's concerning. On the, how the you know the country's going, there's a lot of um, you know spikes here and there, so there's plenty of logistical nightmares that the commissioner's office is working through these teams. But you know, just the fact that we're talking about and just seeing it in, in a more present conversation about this this is happening, <laughs> is uh, is just hoping for the best and just seeing that you know what baseball can be to to our country right now. Uh, just to give us that opportunity to you know, find some enjoyment and some some live events, uh, you know, certainly gives me something to feel happy about. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't say that I have a high level of certainty that baseball or really any sport um, can make it through this season, but I do love baseball, so I'm excited that at least they're going to try. But even if it works, it'll be different. It'll be filled with weirdness. It'll be unlike any baseball season that we've ever seen. It's also going to look different. Uh, that's even if you're just watching it on TV. So this week on Starkville, we're going to talk about just how different with two of our favorite people, the great Cubs broadcast team of Len Casper and Jim Deshays, uh, your teammates, Doug, at the Cubs' new marquee sports network. Uh, I'm expecting you to reveal some deep secrets that we never knew about these two guys. Uh, is that going to happen? They probably will reveal them on their own. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, good They're point. a lot of fun. Also this week, we're going to make one of our loyal listeners more famous than anyone who has ever posed a trivia question to us before. And we will be talking about you, Doug Glanville, entering the conversation for next baseball commissioner, a job I thought I'd been elected to just this month. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but, but first, one quick word from me. Um, Doug, I can't tell you how happy it made me that the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown reopened its doors on Friday. You know, it had been closed for three months. Uh, I, 
I've actually told some of the people who work there, I'm pretty sure that the Hall of Fame has been closed for almost as many days just in those three months as it was in its entire history before that. It's crazy to think about. Uh, Last summer in Cooperstown meant so much to, uh, to me, to us, to our family as I was accepting that Spink Award on induction, on induction weekend. So we've been feeling the pain of everybody in Cooperstown during this closure because the hall is the lifeblood of the town it resides in. Um, literally, that whole beautiful town depends on the Hall of Fame for its existence. So last week, uh, the Starks made a donation to the Hall of Fame just because we wanted to do what we could to help. And so just want to tell people, if the Hall holds special meaning to you, too, uh, consider becoming a member of the Hall of Fame if you're able right now. Uh, I know how much everyone there would appreciate your support. Just go to baseballhall.org for more info. Yeah, I mean, it's a, you know it's, it's so iconic. I still have the headshot I got as a kid. I think I was 12 years old when I first went to the Hall of Fame of Michael Jack Schmidt. A beautiful color photo in that powder blue uni the Phillies had. Uh, you know that's you know that was where it connected the dots. I was already a big fan, but that sort of crystallized you know what this uh, what this place meant in the uh, the consciousness not only in in baseball but really our country. I mean it's it's a special place of, of dripping with history, but also context and um, and you know you miss that and and these are one of the many. Uh, challenges uh, that have been faced by living in this pandemic and and the businesses and the sensibilities that have had to shift and change. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I need to make another road trip up there. It's been a few years. And, um, yeah, I got to see your plaque up there, by the way. I got I to gotta check that out. So. <laughs> um, yeah, it's going to get an extra bonus year of life. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, as I said last year in my speech, uh, Cooperstown is the real Magic Kingdom. Yep. I hear you 100%. All right, speaking of Hall of Famers, it's time to welcome in our guests on Starkville this week. It's two people so smart and entertaining, I could spend like two hours listening to them describe a traffic jam. Uh, That would be the spectacular Cubs broadcast duo of Len Casper and Jim Deshays. Gentlemen, welcome to Starkville. I hope you picked up your keys to the city on the way in. What's happening, Jason? Thanks. It's great to be in Starkville. What's going on, fellas? <laughs> yeah. Great to have you here. Hey, yeah, guys, we're on the verge of actual baseball. We hope if all goes well. So I, 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 let's start with this. What have you missed most about baseball, and what are you looking forward to the most? Len, you want to start? Yeah. Um, I, I, You know, I miss being around the people. You know, I – I absolutely adore the game as much as everyone uh, on this podcast does. I love the seat I have uh, uh, in the the press box right behind home plate. But what I really, really miss more than anything else is the amount of time before, during, and after games uh, I would spend talking to other teams' broadcasters, to the players on both teams, to coaches, managers, front office people, uh, national baseball writers who happen to be in town, uh, that, that's what I miss the most is it, it, it has been kind of an isolating uh, event for everybody. And as much as I love my family and being able to spend more time with them at home, I, I, I truly miss uh, that one-on-one or sometimes just group of five people talking about the sport. Yeah, I would, I would echo that too, Jason. Um, 
you know, I, I miss the game. Obviously, it's I love doing games. It's fun to do games, but I miss the people. I miss the the camaraderie in the press box and, uh, and press dining room, just talking with the scouts and the writers and, and other broadcasters. I, I like the I like the people you meet along the way. Uh, like Lorraine turning the brats in, in Milwaukee, and the, the guy that mans the door outside the visitors' clubhouse in Pittsburgh, whose name I always forget, but he always has a big smile. Just that, that routine of going to the ballpark every day and all all the different people you interact with. Yeah, that's one of those things that we'll be missing this year. Even if we wind up in a ballpark and they're playing baseball in that ballpark, we're, we're not going to have those moments. There's not going to be a, that, that, those times in the press dining room. There's not going to be you've just run into somebody on the field or in the corridor or in the concourse. That's going to be a, a, one of the strangest parts of it for me. Uh, I'm guessing you guys share that. Yeah, and you know, Doug and, and JD can speak to this as players, but um, while I understand what has to happen this season due to all the health protocols, uh, and, and in fact, you know, the, the more I learn about what has to be done, uh, you know, the more trepidation I have about being around people, because I think in theory, a month or two ago, I'm like, oh, we get back to the ballpark, everything will kind of feel normal. But what I worry about the most, guys, is that precedents get set, uh, set in moments like this. I think we all agree once the DH is here, it probably is here to stay. That's that's one thing. Um, but I, I, I do worry that the Zoom calls that players will do before games and after games and the lack of one-on-one uh, time that the media will have with people in uniform, there's going to be a point where players are probably like, you know what, I'd rather just – dial up a laptop from uh, the home clubhouse food room and not really have to deal with the beat writers on an everyday basis. And so, you know, I I don't want to make it too big picture right now because we're just going day to day, (laughs) but I'm curious what the ex players have to say about it because routines get formed and habits get formed pretty quickly. And I could see a lot of players saying, you know what, I don't really want to do this one-on-one business anymore. Yeah. I mean, well, it's funny you use the word habit that's that's kind of the concern I have as a player because our whole existence in baseball is ritual, right? We we have a pocket schedule that dictates everywhere you're supposed to be all the time. And for years, I could tell you on you know July third and you know 1997 where I was. I mean that's sort of the nature. So you have these routines to either keep your rhythm, superstition, whatever it may be, but also to kind of fight the fact that you're under control so that you do these things to kind of loosen up pregame handshakes and high fives. I mean, it's just an instinct to just do these things. And so many of those are kind of checked now in this danger box of like, wait a minute, you can't do this, you can't do that. And uh, and that's that's tough from a, a player standpoint. But even on the media side, I, I'm kind of wondering, you guys, wh- what, do you, what do you think you're going to do differently to share that experience, you know, I know it's early, but to share that experience with an audience that most likely won't be in the stands. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's a great question, and it's going to be challenging for sure. Uh, you know, as broadcasters, and you know, you, you feed off the energy of people in the ballpark, um, so you're going to have to work extra hard to kind of create that. Um, you're going to make sure, you know, a lot of times what's going on in the stands helps you tell the story, especially when it's ten to two. I mean, how many times do you get on? You know, hey, <laughs> down to the truck. Give me a shot of the crowd, would you? Give me a shot of that kid stuffing cotton candy up his nose. Uh, that's way more fun than what's going on on the field right now. So that's all, that's all going to go away. But you know, maybe we can solicit uh, people watching at home to send that in. Hey, send us pictures of your baby 
you know, sticking a French fry in his nose watching the ball game. <laughs> that'll be arranged. That'll become a that'll become a segment or something like that. Uh, this has got to happen. Has to happen. Yeah. Yeah. But where do you guys stand on on fake crowd noise and including fake fake crowd noise on the broadcast? I like. I feel like you need that noise. You know, great broadcasters like yourself. You you don't talk every second. Uh, like in normal times, you would let some of the moments breathe. You, know, you let the roar of the crowd tell the story. And when something great happens, you feed off the roar of the crowd when you call the big moment. So what do you think works better, fake noise or no noise? I think the main answer is I don't know yet. Uh, and we may experiment a little bit. But I got to tell you guys, we have an opportunity now without even specifically miking players, but just based on the the microphones we have to pick up home plate, we have an opportunity here to hear stuff that, that takes place on the field of play that we've never had before. And, and you know when you have a, a you know late Tuesday night in April, uh, it's a school night, you get a three-hour rain delay and the game resumes at 11.45 local time. You hear every word uttered by the 54 fans left in the ballpark. <laughs> and you hear the conversations on the field. And so I don't know if I want to hear pumped in crowd noise that may cover up, you know, two down here, you know, make sure you tag a one out, whatever, whatever the, the chatter is on the field. And, and might we see, you know, or hear guys yelling from the dugout at the opposing pitcher. I kind of want to hear that stuff. Yeah, right, exactly. You better have a 10 at, second at least. <laughs> uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna hear a lot more than maybe some people want to hear. But that's an interesting concept, right? What, how about a, like a guy working a soundboard and he just decides when, okay, now we need to hear every word that's being uttered. Now here's a big home run. Let's ramp up that crowd noise like there's a lot of people here. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a great piece uh, in The Athletic uh, talking to Dave Fleming about this very issue but he was talking about that giants press box in in san francisco is so close to the field the players will actually <laughs> oh, hear no. the broadcasters <laughs> describe what they're doing or not doing really it's a little less of a problem it's more stratospheric but could that happen sure could and, and in terms of you know bad words that that get uttered um we're in a pandemic, guys. Like, is 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 the, is the spray f bomb really, really going to offend a lot of people? And the kind of knowing, I mean, we've all watched a lot of NBA basketball, and every time there's a free throw shot, you hear stuff, right? So, I, I you know, yeah. I, you don't want it to be gratuitous, obviously. Um, I don't think managers are really going to be allowed to come out and argue with with umpires, right? So they're going to be screaming at them from the dugout. I kind of want to hear some of that. <laughs> I don't think it's up to us to decide. I think the FCC you might want to consult. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. They're already texting us now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, have you have you guys watched any of the Premier League games? Because I've you know they've got the phony crowd noise going, and like I like it. It's comforting, but one thing I've noticed is uh, there's no roar, there's no ooing and eyeing if somebody almost scores, and that feels like a problem in how you're used to calling a baseball game, Lent. Yeah, and that's that's the to me that's the other issue with fake uh, crowd noise is you have to have a seasoned pro who can kind of anticipate moments 
and man, you hit the wrong button, right? All of a sudden you have like a, a laugh track from Happy Days, you know, on a, on a walk-off home run. It's like, whoops, not supposed to hit laugh. You're supposed to hit, yeah. So I don't know, for comedic effect, it might work, but uh, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little leery of it. And I, I, I would like to try, let's hear what it actually sounds like. And then if we need to adjust from there, you know, we can as we go. Don't, uh, and I haven't, I don't really play a lot of video games, but I remember years ago, coming upon some video game somewhere and they, they had sound effects like that. So, if, you know, if there was a close call, you'd hear this, ooh, and there'd be prolonged cheering. Stark family has a bubble hockey game. And so if you, if you shoot it wide, the crowd goes, oh, yeah, yeah, it's tremendous. So I, I would think this could be arranged, right? Hey, w- one more thing we got to clear up. Uh, how are you going to call these games? And obviously the booth at Wrigley for home games. What about road games? Same. Uh, we decided that uh, let's yeah. let's keep our routine. We'll throw a big monitor in front of our faces uh, at Wrigley, and uh, it's a cool backdrop for an open uh, to a broadcast. Um, you know, Doug is a part of Marquee Sports Network. You know, maybe he'll be uh, on a Zoom call uh, for, from his home during the game. I mean, we've got a lot of options uh, to, to to ponder here. Um, I, I'm hearing that maybe the, the Yankee broadcasters will be uh, in a studio. I think everybody's going to do it a little bit differently, but uh, JD, uh, you and I kind of agreed uh, our spot at Wrigley's pretty comfortable, right? Hey, we're outdoors. Um, and, and that's healthier to be outdoors than indoors during a pandemic. Um, yeah, we'll be in a baseball stadium, so at least we'll have that feel as opposed to a studio, which will feel probably a little more nightly news or a little more antiseptic. Um, obviously, if, if the weather's brutal, I guess we could go to a, a plan B, but uh, it's going to be surreal, right? It's going to be weird sitting in a near empty ballpark broadcasting a game from Pittsburgh um, <laughs> at Wrigley Field. But um, there is an element of fun to it, too. I mean, as crazy as this, as this is, and as unfortunate as it is, there's an element, to me at least, that hey, this is going to be kind of cool to see how this all works out. Yeah, I saw where the uh, the Cubs are, go- are thinking about opening the rooftop boxes right before they actually o- let people into the stadium. Maybe people could come sit on the roof and watch you guys do do watch you guys do your road games. <laughs> Might work. There there will there will be people uh, in the in the area. There always uh, are a lot of yeah. fans outside uh, Wrigley yeah. Field during the season. So I, I anticipate the bars will be full. And uh, Doug, you think? Um, you know, a big oh. cheer from Murphy's. We'll probably pick that up on a broadcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. You might hear it from downtown, actually, at <laughs> State Street or something. Uh, and, I, and I was wondering, like, even within the game itself, is there are there any innovations that you're curious that baseball has an opportunity to put in? I mean, here's a chance, right? You could, I mean, you could do something like eliminate shifts. I know they're not going to do that. But uh, any thought to the opportunity from a field standpoint that could make the game more exciting? Well, you know, I, uh, there's, you know, they put the new rule in um, to have a man on second base leaving off extra innings. Uh, there's been a lot of debate over that one, I think, in the public sphere. Um, I'm, I'm kind of like, this has been so hard to, to get up and running. I'm like leaning in on just about everything. Whatever you want to try, baseball, let, let's try it. I'm in. Um, Television-wise, same way. You know, just, you know. If we have better access, if we can mic some guys up, Len talked about picking up the field noise, uh, working with that. Um, you know, it's, it's it's kind of the wild, wild west in terms of we just don't know how a broadcast is going to work best when there's nobody in the ballpark. So that part of it is, is still wide open. Um, 
you know, Jason and I had a long conversation last week. He knows where I stand on, on this DH thing. I'm not a big fan, but uh, <laughs> I like, but obviously we're going to have to live with it. Yeah, so we're going to get to that. And then you know, I, I also um, when you start spitballing some of these how to break tie ideas, um, obviously these are not really valid. But I I thought it was it would be fun to put a man on third base and just shoot a ball into the outfield, like with a jugs gun or something, <laughs> and then tag up and he tries to score. And if he's oh, safe, yeah. it's like a, like, a, like a penalty shot in hockey. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's like running bases, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, like, and then the manager could go out to the mound or go to the home plate umpire, and he'd have three cards face down, and he picks a card. And it's either left field, center field, or right field. Oh. And that's where the ball gets shot to. So it's that outfield that has to handle the ball to throw it into home plate. You know, when you're a kid and you're not on the oh, fan man. lot, you had to make stuff up. Well, you can, you, can you then move the left fielder to right field, like some sort of shift? Or, you know, you get like Kelly, no. what is it, Kelly Lee from like the Bad News Bears. He could like run over and catch everything. I think that could work pretty well. No way. You have to stay in your zone. Oh, there, would be, we would, there would be a lot of lines painted on the field. Until the ball is shot, you can't leave your zone. So, oh, keep JD away from the commissioner, please. Um, okay. That won't be a problem. Yeah, uh, I, I will give you a, an answer to that question. I know you want to get back to the DH, but when the Astros uh, cheating scandal happened and in the aftermath, um, I tried to kind of find a unique angle on it. And, and my answer was, this was before the pandemic, obviously. If we get rid of... Uh, sign stealing in 2020, which kind of became the big thing, right? Making sure nobody was 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 doing uh, what the Astros and the Red Sox and some other teams reportedly had done. But we didn't fix the pace of game problem. And to me, we were missing the bigger picture. And, you know, in some weird way, the sign stealing measures might hurt the pace of play and that there may be more secretive measures taken and more pauses between pitches, right? So in terms of an opportunity this year, this may have been the chance to do the pitch clock because with no fans in the ballpark, with the energy kind of having to be manufactured, as you said, Jason, uh, the last thing baseball can afford, in my opinion, is the nine-inning game with nobody in the ballpark that goes four hours and 12 minutes and the final score is three to one. Right. Um, we all love the yeah. sport. We all love the game, but I think we all have a vision of an era uh, where we love the game. And that was probably 25, 30 years ago. And before that. So I think we need to get back to stop wasting time between pitches. And, and my big concern, not for this year, but just in general for the sport is we need more action. So any way to create more action, I'm all for, you know, the, when I try to describe to people what I think, would improve baseball. I talk about exactly that when the game needs better rhythm and it needs more great athletes run around the bases doing great stuff in the field. This would have been a perfect time to try to find some ways to do that. Uh, like I'll tell you one that Joe Madden and I kicked around really early on into this. All right, we were talking about the idea of miking players and Joe said, "Well, if you're going to mic up players, shouldn't you call pitches that way? Right? Shouldn't you have the pit, the pitching coach or the manager in the dugout being able to communicate signals electronically to the pitcher, catcher, middle infielders. It can be done a lot quicker, and it eliminates what you just talked about. right? This, there, we've had – like the NFL has used electronics to deliver the signals for 25 years, right? Baseball has been wiggling fingers to deliver signals for 100 years. <laughs> 
when does baseball make that leap? Wouldn't this have been a great year to try something like that too? It would have. Let me just jump in real quick. I think the other thing about sign stealing is that it's not only cheating, it's boring. <laughs> I think most baseball fans don't care at all about what the sign sequence is, what the runner at second is doing. All as a fan wants is get the ball, get the sign, throw the pitch, swing the bat. Am I wrong? You're exactly right. <laughs> like the, Think about how uh, the ratings at the home run derby gets. You know why that is? Something happens, right? Guy throws the ball, somebody hits it 9,000 feet. That's the essence of baseball entertainment. Now, there's a lot of levels to baseball that we all love, but what draws people in is action. Well, I'll tell you what draws them in. To figure out it's somewhere. a tag up play in extra innings to decide who's going to win. <laughs> the draw in. <laughs> or, and also or the other one from the Sandlot days, two guys start at home plate and they race opposite directions around bases this one the home wins and you have the invariably you have that car crash at second base when the two guys meet i mean there's another another one for the commissioner yeah, not, so you know, that's the, how you would break time commissioner then. has anything else to think about these days but you're you're in cahoots with the commissioner you need to get that to him get that uh get that pass i i, I did win a big twitter poll a couple weeks ago uh, that's right. guy, people, the guy that america would like to see as the next commissioner yeah, through, apparently not a binding election however no no and through, <laughs> and through his followers it was a little bit skewed about, uh, well i'm just wondering with the side the side stealing there's got to be drones involved that that's the thing even if they started speaking like fastball someone's got to hack into the audio download it and somehow like relay it to some third-party app that's attached to someone's spikes i mean you know they're going to keep trying to figure this stuff out so, uh, and then what happens when you shake a sign off, right? You, you say fastball and you have to like, you have like some sort of button yeah. on your sleeve or something. Deny, hit the X button. <laughs> it would be like yeah. college football when they hold up all those placards on the sidelines with all the different pictures on them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So have you guys thought about like your worst fears about doing road games from a broadcast booth in Wrigley? Because I had a... I had one of your fellow broadcasters from another team say to me the other day, what's going to happen if the feed goes out and the team's on the road? You'll be trying to describe games on game day? What, what, radio? Radio? Or I don't know. It'll be a radio simulation. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, obviously, technologically, that's the big concern. Mine is just not knowing where the ball is. Um, that's right. You know, you're going to have a hopefully a high home shot that would kind of mirror the shot. Um you know, essentially where you sit and being able to survey the whole ballpark. But, you know, a ball goes into the corner and, uh, yeah, I just worry about losing the ball and sounding like an idiot. My, I'm, I'm probably more concerned about being able to get a cup of coffee and a sandwich at some point during the game if, if we're the only people in the ballpark. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> that ain't happening. <laughs> who, who, do you, who do you think will feel a bigger difference? Will it be you guys trying to describe the game or people at home watching the game? Well, if we, if we do our mm. jobs, it'd be, it would be us, right? If, I mean, if we can uh, kind of yeah. sell it, we can convince the people, you know, that it feels as normal as possible. So yeah, I guess that's I, I definitely want it to essentially be as normal as possible with some enhancements that'll be necessary and, and, and probably people will want those. But as I said earlier, I think people miss the game that, that 
that left us last year, right? Uh, I don't think they necessarily miss pandemic baseball because they don't know what that looks like. And uh, anything that can make a baseball fan feel comfortable, I'm, I'm all for. We should probably mention this is a big year for the Cubs. I'd like to have all three of you guys weigh in on this. Uh, you think a short season helps or hurts the Cubs in such an important year? I'm going to take the mantle here. Uh, and the answer is, God, who knows? Um, somebody asked me this question the other day. You know, it was posed to me the other day is, well, the Cubs are a veteran team, therefore, are they better positioned? And nobody knows the answer because we really haven't done this before. There's been strikes, there's been lockouts, but we've never had a 60-game season before. We've always had at least 100 games. So nobody knows um, if it's an advantage to be an experienced team or if there's an advantage of being a young team. Um, I, I will say I, I feel bad for David Ross uh, making his managerial debut because every first-time manager I've ever talked to talks about the pace of the game and how, how what is considered by most of us to be a slow-paced game. When you're in that seat, things get on you in a hurry. And I'm sure as a first-time manager, you would love to have 162 games to have a little easing-in period um, before you got into the thick of a pennant race. Well, <laughs> hang with him, David Ross, because <laughs> this, this is a full-on sprint from day one. So the pennant race begins on July 24th for the Cubs. So I, I don't know in terms of the, the makeup of the team, whether it's young, old, or, or otherwise, or the personality of the team, whether they're better suited for this than anybody else. I think that's kind of an unknowable. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm going to throw out there that it, it might help a little bit with David Ross. You know, David Ross was the, the people's manager. You know, he's, he's beloved. He knows these players. And it'd be different if you're kind of a new manager coming in. You don't, you don't have any con, you know, contacts with these players. Uh, he'll probably turn it into something like a family and be able to, you know, with Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant and just the fact that he has that sort of cachet with, with the players and his familiarity with the city. So, you know, if there is an intangible with being in these like, close proximity, but yet kind of at a distance, it's uh, is that you have something to build on. And, uh, you know, I don't know on the field whether you're going to see teams with openers and like great bullpens are going to matter. Uh, because what do you do? Are pitchers going to be able to go eight innings? Probably not. It's going to be a short, crazy spring training. And uh, but you know, but I do think in the end, from a standpoint of winning it all, I mean, nobody's out of this. Nobody, because if you start off thirty and ten, you, you could win a world championship, and you could be the Marlins or the Padres or anybody. So uh, that's that's the wild card, uh, as there are many wild cards in this in this deck. And in terms of David Ross, you know, possibly the advantage is he hasn't gone through the normal rigors of a, of a 162 game schedule. And so this is all new anyway, right? He told me that the three batter minimum was no big deal to him because it's all new. So maybe a veteran manager being a little bit out of his comfort zone, you know, Joe Madden likes to stand in the same spot on the steps uh, of the dugout. He's, I don't believe going to be able to be on the steps because that has to be totally clear for the players. So he's got to find a different spot to stand. I mean, those are all seemingly really minor things, but it, if it makes you a little uncomfortable, it can be uh, a bit unsettling. And in terms of the roster makeup, I don't know if it's an advantage or not, but I think the, the big question about depth on this team is the starting rotation they had five guys plus alec mills who's probably the long man beyond that there's not a whole lot there as doug said you're probably going to rely on your bullpen a lot but if the five stay healthy in a two-month period 
that's really good. They've got some veteran guys like Quintana, Lester, and Darvish. Uh, if one of those guys goes down, I think they're in, they're in bad shape. You know, I thought the Cubs were telling you something by the way they made up their their sixty player pool. Uh, you you don't see twelve prospects, twelve kids on that <laughs> roster. No, they're obviously one of those teams that is going for it because just just the makeup of the group coming to this camp tells you just what they think they need. They'll be the the the, the guys who are going to. The 30 guys they're going to open with, and then a bunch of guys on that taxi squad who are ready to help. You guys agree? I agree. And, I, you know, the other thing for me, guys, is there's a trade deadline. You know, J.D. and I on and off the air have <laughs> discussed the idea of should there even be trades allowed during a pandemic? Uh, I just think about on a personal level how disruptive uh, a six-player trade could be in a season like this, and you're trying to get that guy into your lineup the next day. Like, you don't want to give him three days because that's about seven and a half games in a normal season. Um, so will a team that starts, uh, you know, 10 and 15 all of a sudden decide to trade a bunch of guys? Uh, there are rumors that the Cubs would be one of those teams if they got off to a slow start. So I, this is all uncharted territory. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I wonder about that. Um, I mean, I mean, you think about, oh, I start, I struggled for two weeks, and now I'm like trade bait. I mean, it's it's a the, the timeline is so, is so condensed. It's like, sorry, you know, you're, you're two for your last twenty three. We got to get rid of you. Get out of here. Uh, but but the safety part of it, right? I mean, are you every state like you're gonna have to quarantine in New York if you get traded? And I mean, I I don't know. And and so they right. uh, that is what's so difficult to figure out because the the safety protocols by state by state is constantly shifting and fluid. What we're talking about today in two weeks could be a whole different landscape of, of what the states, you know, Canada, whatever the circumstances are. So, so imagine being traded in a family scenario in the middle of a season like this where you have to restart. Uh, it sounds like a, a total mess. I just say I have two thoughts. You're talking about the, the Cubs and their, how competitive they will be. Um, you know, coming into this spring, the original spring training, it was, you know, a season of reckoning, so to speak, for them. Uh, a lot of guys are going to be free agents at the end of the 2021 season. So they were definitely in go-for mode. And I was curious what would, what they would do now with the 60-game schedule because you always wonder what does management – how much do you value a championship in a shortened season like this? But as you mentioned, Jason, with their roster construction, clearly they're in go-for mode. And, and the other piece, too, the, the shorter season – Maybe it benefits, um, you know, an, an older pitching staff. And, and you know, I think about John Lester, Quintana and Darvish to a lesser degree. Because what are you going to make, 12 starts, you know, in a 60-game season? So, you know, a lot of times you worry about veteran guys breaking down over the long haul or a manager having to save guys because it's a long season. Well, that component is no longer there. And then the other thought I had, we've talked about players and managers. The real heroes of this thing are going to be the trainers. Whoever can keep their guys uh, you know, healthy and playing baseball, man, that, that could be the, the defining uh, deal in this whole situation. Yeah, you're not kidding. And, you know, you guys love numbers. You know, I love numbers. How weird do you think the numbers are going to be in a season this short? I, I, I know you remember Jake Arrieta going down the stretch in 2015. The Cubs' last 60 games, you know what his ERA was? 0. 0.41. Why could could the ERA <laughs> champ have an ERA under one? No doubt. 
No question about it. Um, yeah, they're going to be guys hitting 390, and they're going to be other really good offensive players who will bat 170. Just it's it's just going to happen, right? <laughs> right. There's no long haul. Guys are going to get killed in arbitration. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. We're not going to know what to oh. make. Of uh, but we haven't even gotten to the most important topic of the day. Jim touched on it earlier. We've got the arrival of the Universal DH. And you know what that means, right? Jim Deshays is now an official <laughs> offensive legend. Now, maybe legend isn't quite the right word, but I did, <laughs> I did write a column the other day about the fun we'll be missing if pitchers don't hit anymore. And, Jim, you pretty much epitomized that fun. Uh, you have a record now that will never be broken. 373 career at-bats. Remind us how many extra base hits you got again. That would be zero, Jason. <laughs> oh, that's right. So is, so is this record of yours kind of like Cy Young's 511 wins now? It, it's going to stand in the uh, pantheon of baseball forever? Yeah, and I think future non-hitting pitchers will always lament the fact that they didn't have a chance to run me down. Um, you know, whoever, the, whoever the active leader is. Will not yeah. be. We'll, we'll, we'll always wonder. What if I, you know, what if they had not introduced this silly rule into the National League? Perhaps that could be my record. But yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm rather proud of it, and uh, I will cling to it. Len, how in awe are you of the realization your partner now holds one of baseball's most unbreakable <laughs> records? Uh, the Reds uh, Twitter account <laughs> in the last two weeks had, had posted two videos. One was back to back to back home runs. Uh, back in 1990, they were all off my partner. So I retweeted, Hey, leave him alone. And he actually chimed in, which was awesome. And then I didn't have the heart to tell JD, I think yesterday, oh, they posted I Barry Larkin's <laughs> three homer game and all three homers were off, uh, Jim Deshays. So JD, you can tell the, the story about the, the day you should have had a double. Yeah. Um, well that was, it was the, it was the Astrodome. Um, ah, okay. Yeah. Okay. It was, it was, it was my. It was my first big league hit, and I think it was off a uh, nasty left-hander, Joe Price, and it was a little kind of squibber right down the third baseline, and I went hauling ass <laughs> down the line on knees and elbows and just kind of, you know, <laughs> running it. <laughs> I won't say running fast. I'll say running hard, um, <laughs> and I blew right through Matt Delante, who was the first base coach, who may or may not have been pointing towards second base, and I just... But by the time, you know, I stopped, I was about halfway to the right field corner. And then I turned around to see the left fielder just picking the ball up as it kind of spun into foul territory. Uh, and then, you know, once I had a few more at-bats in the league and guys saw my swing, the idea of doubles just disappeared. Because I wasn't going to pull one into the gap. I wasn't going to pull one down the line. The only way I would have gotten a double was just that very thing, hitting something right down the third baseline. But little by little, they started to, to play me more and more the opposite way. Um, so much so that uh, George Foster at Shea Stadium uh, one night was pretty much straddling the left field line as my bat progressed. So, yeah, that was, it was a, 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 a the combination of lack of speed, lack of power that very few players have. <laughs> Well, did you hit? Did you hit any home runs foul or something like something exciting like that? Doug, I never hit a home run in DP. Um, I, I remember, <laughs> I, I think I, I think I one hopped the wall in the Astrodome during batting practice. The, the, two, the two highlights of my hitting career were that one hopping the wall in DP, and I pulled the ball on the ground in spring training off Ramon Martinez. 
I was doing just like oh, a routine right ground ball to second base, but that was <laughs> I felt like a real hit. Yeah. Pulled the ball on the ground. Yeah. You know, we tried to find a clip of Jim doing anything <laughs> at the plate. Like he, we even looked up trying to whether he struck out four times. Maybe there was some, some footage of that. Apparently, all those clips were confiscated by the proper authorities. Uh, but, but look, let's talk about the University of DH. Uh, we all understand pitchers can hit as well as non-pitchers. Okay, let's get that out of the way. We know that. But I'm speaking as somebody who has written zillions of words about the fun stuff that happens when pitchers come to the plate. I'll miss that fun. Uh, Jim, I, I believe you share my outrage that this is just an attempt by baseball to outlaw fun. Yeah, they're fun suckers on this one. Um, <laughs> uh, and, you know, uh, Bartolo Colon's home run a couple of years ago was a huge moment. Everybody around the game celebrated it. Anytime, well, there's two things, really. Uh, a really good hitting pitcher deserves to have to be able to exploit that skill. Um, a guy like Mike Hampton, uh, Travis Wood that we had in here in Chicago, um, you know, I think there's value in those guys getting to hit, and they rise above the rest of the pack. Uh, and then the other part of it is the comedic value or this the wow moment when a really bad hitting pitcher gets a big knock in a big situation. You see the dugouts light up, the fans go crazy. Um, we're going to lose all that. So I, I hate to see it go. I, I get the argument. I understand why people, you know, they say it's boring to watch pitchers flail away up there. I think it's thrilling to watch pitchers flail away up there. <laughs> this has been coming since 1997, right? Um, since he retired. And, and I guess, well, right. To, to, to exaggerate the, the point, I guess, the question would be interleague play or, you know, no DH. And to me, it's kind of one or the other. Like, if I offered you guys the opportunity to just get rid of interleague play and it's NL only, AL only, and then you do the DH or no DH in the World Series – to me, that makes sense. But you get rid of American League, National League umpires. You get rid of American League, National League presidents. Uh, it's Major League Baseball right now. And one-third of the NL schedule is going to be played against the American League. And I just think you get to a point where the rules have to be the same. I don't love the DH either. I just think it's the most equitable way to do it under the current rules of the game. You know, I understand all that. But this is an entertainment product. I'm going to quote a great man. Jim Deshaies said to me just last week, we have, we have plenty of good hitters in the sport. We need more bad hitters. <laughs> Is that an, it's not probably not an exact quote, J.D., but close. We, yeah. We need that guy that the average Joe can sit at home and watch a game and go, I'm way better than that guy. Because I guarantee there's a multitude of high school ex-high school players that watch me bat and frankly, probably watched me pitch and said, I'm way better than that guy. I always thought it was it was fun. I mean, I grew up a National League fan. I grew up in the New Jersey, North Jersey, but and there was Yankees and Mets, but I always preferred the National League. And I kind of saw this through a couple of different lenses. One was when I was playing every day and then I started to lose my starting job and I was sitting on the bench in a National League game, how locked in I had to be about double switches and thinking with the manager and should we take this guy out and all that starts to happen, you know, the first time around the lineup. And then I was in Texas and we're, we're knocking some pitcher around for, for 14 hits and he's still out there because they're like, we just want to eat up innings at this point. And I always thought it was such a, a different dynamic. And, um, you know, so I, I enjoyed 
playing with guys like Robert Person, who hit a grand slam and a three-run homer in the same game and like didn't get a hit the rest of the season. Uh, yeah, I mean, of course I didn't want our season to hinge on, okay, Robert Person's coming up with the bases loaded and this is for the, you know, the division title. But I understand that there is something, even for players, to look at a guy and say, anything's possible, right? <laughs> anything's possible. And we had fun with it. I mean, Greg Maddox had a home run off us at one point. We were just like, what is going on? <laughs> So I don't know. It's, you know, like you said, entertainment value is one thing, but where baseball always has to be careful is you could follow the analytics trail or just sort of make it very calculated, or you could remember the spirit of what kind of inspires us in these low percentage scenarios that turn out to be uh, memorable. And I've always appreciated that about baseball, the underdog or the fact that even though it's not a high percentage play, Dave Roberts still stole second base and history was made, for example. Uh, I don't want to lose that completely. And I know it's not all on pitchers hitting, but it is part of that tone. There, there are a couple of ideas that came about. Um, you know, number one, you could have said DH for any position, which theoretically could have allowed a Zach Greinke or a Madison Bumgarner to hit. And maybe you take your, you know, your light hitting shortstop and, and you DH for that guy. Uh, I don't love that idea just because it would, again, mostly be for the pitcher. Um, I like the hybrid idea, not tying the DH to the starting pitcher, um, but doing the opposite. And my, my hybrid idea would be both leagues, the nine spot, the first time through the order, the pitcher, whoever that is, and it's usually the starter, would have to hit and then have the DH take over after that. And my reasoning is most pitchers who are used to hitting are starters. And if you tie the DH to the starter, then possibly later you're going to have relievers who never hit be the guys who actually get a plate appearance. So I think that would have been a compromise to at least preserve you know, that third inning. Madison Bumgarner gets one shot to try to hit a home run and then you know, after that first time through the order, you can use a DH. What do you guys think of something like that? I, I like that idea, and I'll, I'll throw out one that I've written about a little bit that people seem to really like, which is almost the opposite of what you're su- suggesting, Len, which is you it would have a universal DH as long as the starting pitcher or the primary pitcher was in the game. And as soon as that guy leaves, then you lose your DH. And that would have two elements to it that I think would create incredible value. One is it's incentive to leave your starter in the game, right? So it helps to reestablish the preeminence of the starting pitcher in the sport, which I think is still important, um, could create more offense if you're, if you're not changing pitchers every time the, <laughs> the third time through comes around. So you have all that. But the other part is once you lose your DH, now it reintroduces all those strategic elements of the NL game that we enjoy in the late innings. I think we know pitchers would almost never hit. Those relief pitchers you talked about <laughs> right. would almost never hit. But it's a cool idea that I know has been brainstormed. It's one one reason I was kind of sorry to see the universal DH get thrown into these negotiations because it would have been I think an element that would have been very much in play in the big labor talks in a year and a half. Hey, let me ask JD this question because I, we love these hypotheticals. I could what 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 is the average now for a starter? It's like five plus innings, right? Barely. Yeah. So yeah. JD, yep. I'll give you the DH in both, or I'll give you no DH in either league. We're going to go back to pre seventy three, or starting pitchers now average seven innings per start. Which one would you take? Which is better for the game? 
Oh man, that's a, <laughs> that's a tough one. Um, can I get rid of the DH and go <laughs> no. two thirds? I can't, I can't. There's no nope. compromise position here. But either or. Nope. Wow. Nope. I'm sticking to my guns. I'm, I'm not. I'm not DH. I'm saying okay. no to the DH. There you, there you have it, Doug. I I I like the um, I like. No, I, I like I like the starter. You know, I I like the culture of starters going deep in the ball game. I, I do, and and I and um I think that's a, a lost art. And there's so many changes. You talk about pace of game. That's that is part of it, right? The this guy's coming in, and I mean, think about the the magic double we call it. You know, putting the runner on second base in extra innings. I mean, some of that is backing into the fact that analytics got so dominant that everything became a matchup or an odds-making festival, right? He started to say, well, you know, so you're now saying, well, I, I don't, you know, and granted the pandemic is obviously a big element, but we've already on this trajectory of knowing people are not going to go deep into games. And so we can't afford to go into extra innings too long because we're just going to run out of pitchers and we're going to need that 12 guys tomorrow. And that's how the game has been. So in, a, in some ways that, that runner just sort of backs into the fact that we're, we're not pushing back on maybe we can stretch these pitchers and get back to deeper games. I thought that was a great matchup, a marquee event, right? Uh, Steve Carlton versus John Tudor versus Fernando Valenzuela versus Mario Soto. I mean, they were just iconic. And I thought that was a era that was really golden about pitching and execution and sometimes just putting the ball in play and, and making people make plays. Uh, so if I had a choice, I'd probably, even though I, I love pitcher hitting the strategy, you know, I, I do like pitchers going deep in the games. Yeah, I'm going to total, totally contradict myself now. I'm also going to vote for pitchers going seven. I mean, Doug, you, you just touched <laughs> on it, man. Like the, how did we, how did we analyze baseball games for a century? Who's pitching tonight? Okay, who's pitching tonight? Wait, it, Absolutely, it's Scherzer against Kershaw. Sign me up for that. <laughs> and like, if you think about what makes the NBA so much fun, it's Okay, Le- LeBron versus Steph tonight. They're each going to have the ball in their hands a hundred times. That's a starting pitching matchup. The only, the only similarity to LeBron against Steph in our sport is Kershaw against Scherzer or whoever the starting pitchers are that night. And I really do worry that we're losing that. Uh, the importance of the starting pitcher in our sport is being underestimated. Again, just in terms of entertainment value. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. He, and it's not just Scherzer, Kershaw. It can be Deshays against, uh, let me paint. Randy, Randy Lurch. <laughs> Randy Lurch. Let's get Randy Lurch. Deshays against Randy Lurch. Okay. <laughs> Let's sign up for that. Jerry Don Bleeding. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, this is not quite a related topic, but uh, at this point, our your friend and, and mine, Larry Anderson, was supposed to pop in here as a mystery guest, but uh, apparently he he's too busy, can't fit trolling your sweet swing, JD, into his busy schedule. But he did he did ask me to point out that he was way more Tony Gwynn like than you. He said he's no. he spent eleven seasons in the National League. He got a hit in four of those seasons. Therefore, we do the math. He's a 364 career <laughs> hitter. Does that sound about right? That, yeah, and well, and Larry Anderson's twisted mind. It does sound right. 
But I was, I was, hey, do you guys remember Eric Yeldon? Oh, yeah. Breeze. Breezy. They call him Breeze. Yeah. Cool Breeze. Cool Breeze. Yeah. He was with us in the Astro, with the Astros towards the end of my time there. He nicknamed me Carew because I had that sweet off-field stroke in BP. I was Carew. So I was way more Carew and Gwynn-like than Larry Anderson, who was. Who, who doesn't even realize he's a right-handed hitter and he can't be Tony Gwynn as a right-handed hitter. <laughs> but if ever hey, there's yes. a left-handed brain, it's Larry Anderson. <laughs> right. um, I, 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 I want to tell you guys my favorite Tony Gwynn story, and it was told to me um, uh, recently, so, so second or third hand, and I'm going to use the JD line. It may or may not be true. Um, I almost don't care if it is or not because it rings true. And you may have heard this story. You may not. I cannot verify that it's fact, but here it goes. So it was the right-handed Bobby Jones. I believe Bobby J. Jones. Yeah. Is that right? I, 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 I hit so. home, home runs <laughs> Bob- off of both of them. So that is my, that is my, <laughs> since I only had 59 home runs, that is saying something. <laughs> okay. So Bobby J. Jones, the right-hander faces Gwynn and First pitch, first at bat, sinker, strike, outside corner, called strike. Pitch number two, called strike two, sinker, outside corner. Third pitch, called strike three, sinker, outside corner. Next at bat, first pitch, sinker, outside corner, called strike one. Second pitch, sinker, called strike two, outside corner. Third pitch, curveball, home run to right. (laughs) The next day, Gwynn is at the batting cage, and Bobby Jones walks up and says, Tony, I got to ask you. What in the hell happened last night? You took five straight heaters for strikes, and then you hit an 0-2 curveball for a home run? And Gwynn, without pause, said, I can't hit your curveball. Every time I faced you, it's the toughest curveball in the league. So I said to myself, I am not swinging until you throw me a curveball. <laughs> How great a story is that? Oh, he goodness. could have struck him out with just fastballs on the outside corner, but Gwynn picked the one pitch he couldn't hit, and he sat on it the whole game, and he hit a home run. Totally yeah, believe that, that story. That's just, yeah, that's, yeah, his curveball yeah, is so That, that does slow. ring true. That sounds uh, like Tony Gwynn. We're, we're going to look up, right now I'm going to look up the Tony Gwynn versus Jim Deshaies uh, batter versus Uh-oh. pitcher. Oh, <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God was the terminology there? Oh, Tony. It probably starts with, it has to start with a four. Uh, no, oh, let's Tony see Gwynn. here. 346. With a 404 on base. Okay. For, yeah. Oh, that's what he said. 442 slugging. See, you held him in under an, an 850 OPS. There you go. Never yeah, never homered off yeah, yet. That's solid. Uh, hey, we're we're going to have to let you guys get out of here, but I, there's something I forgot to ask you. Well, what's going to happen to take me out to the ball game? I suggest a Doug Glanville a rendition be looped in every every night. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I, I was, by last time I did it, I, I, the comment was, that I hit five different keys in the same song. Uh, so that's usually not a good sign. That's a record, I think, in terms of keys. Um, we, we might toy with the idea of having celebrities maybe send in pre-done videos that we can air on our telecast. Uh, that's a possibility. Um, it's a good question. I think we're going to have some fun with it. Let's put it that way. You can reincarnate Harry Carey, man. You can yeah. join you in the booth every night. <laughs> Well, they play Harry on the on the video board in the stadium oh, quite often. Oh yeah, so they do holograms. They've had holograms before, right? Have they, I mean, yeah. do all kind of Babe Ruth could do the seventh inning or something. I don't know. Uh, also, before I let you go, I also want to mention that 
Uh, JD is not the only legend with us. Len Casper reminded us last week he is also a legend. Uh, of course, I mean a rock and roll legend. Uh, Len saw you wielding your guitar on the uh, Hot Stove Cool Music concert the other day. You were in your element, man. I would say you were way more accomplished with a guitar than JD was with a bat. <laughs> Fair statement. Well, the the bar was set low as we talked earlier, but uh, no, it's <laughs> it's uh, it's 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 been a lot of fun. We have a lot of uh, uh, Cub fans who are. Uh, uh, big celebrity musicians and uh, it's been very inspiring to me and that's kind of the one thing i can do in my basement lair that uh is non-baseball related it takes my mind off things yeah it was cool uh, i'll tell you what if we ever do a starkville music festival like Starkstock or Villestock or whatever it would be uh we could we just book you and your band right now i'm assuming nobody else would show up <laughs> sure in i'll do it okay beautiful hey look it's been an honor and uh, and so much fun to have you guys visit us here at starkville uh we'll have the mayor send you a gift certificate good for a free piece of pie at the starkville diner if that sounds good diner's still closed but just as soon as it reopens okay it's a virtual oh, pie unbelievably generous of you guys thank you so much yeah. we're, we're gonna jump on the next train to starkville and we'll be there many love have you guys. love you guys yeah. jason uh, yeah. miss you doug yeah, uh can't wait to uh, talk to you a little bit more during the season and uh yeah it's uh, let's let's get back to playing ball yeah i hear yeah, you really i hear you lenny hey thank thank you so much hope our paths cross at a ballpark one of these weeks or months or years yes, thanks so much all right guys thank you thanks a See lot you guys thanks Doug, it's time for one of our favorite parts of every podcast, listener trivia. It's our way of involving you, our favorite listeners, in this show. And starting this week, our hope is to literally involve you listeners. Uh, rather than have me repeat your question, if we select your trivia question, you out there will get the opportunity to ask it to us live. Oof. So the heck with that 15 seconds of fame. <laughs> We've been trying to entice you with. You now get to milk this for as long as you can filibuster your way through it. So, so Doug, here we go, man. It's time to bring in our very first live listener, uh, not to be confused with our very first living listener. Uh, it's our new best friend, Jamie Pridmore. Jamie, welcome. How do you feel about making Starkville history? Oh, I'm excited. Thanks for having me on, guys. This is great. We're happy to have you. Tell us uh, where you're from, what team you root for, and what inspired you to submit a trivia question to the likes of us. Great. Yeah, thanks. So I'm from uh, Calgary, Alberta, so proud Canadian. Uh, big Toronto Blue Jays fan, uh, so looking forward to the season starting. I've been to about 22 major league ballparks, so I like to make my way around North America there. And uh, I've always wow. enjoyed the last few weeks uh, tweeting with you guys, exchanging questions, and uh Glad to be the, the pioneer on here for the for the kickoff. <laughs> well, all right. Well, uh, us too. Um, Jamie, the time has come to ask this week's Starkville trivia question. So the floor is yours. Thank you, Jason. Who is the only player to have a season with 20 home runs and 50 stolen bases and another season with 50 home runs and 20 stolen bases. So we went 20-50 in one year and 50-20 in another year. Can you name this player? 
Wow, Jamie, this wow. is a cool question. Uh, wow, I, I love it. I'm not sure I know it, but it, it definitely made me think. Uh, how did you come up with this question? Just out of curiosity. Well, Jason, I have to admit, I, I read it somewhere uh, <laughs> eight or ten years from ago, me, <laughs> and it stuck. And it may have been from you, actually. I, I have to give you props for that. It may have come from yourself. So, yeah, yeah, but it stuck I'll, with you. Oh, that's good. I, it it really is a good one, and uh, if I did come up with it, I can't remember the answer. I, I've, I've been thinking about it. Uh, I feel like the only possibilities I could think of. Doug, take notes here. Uh, Willie Mays. Yep. Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, Barry Bonds. Thought about a Rod. I I was trying to think outside the box. Maybe Brady Anderson. I thought about Mickey Mantle. And so, like, those are the names I wrote down. Then I feel like you need to think about the arc of a guy's career, right? So this is somebody who had to be a base stealer at one stage who also flashed some power. But then at another stage, he had to be a power hitter who was still running, right? He was still stealing bases. Uh, it seems to me that Willie Mays had that kind of career arc. Uh, maybe it's because I've been reading John Shea's great book on Willie, uh, 24, recommend it. But uh, I'm going to go Willie Mays. Doug, what do you think? Wow. Um, yeah, I thought exactly the same way. A couple of names. I, I did have A-Rod on my list, and then I, I was kind of lost. Like Andrew Jones seemed like he did something crazy. Like didn't he hit 60 he, he or hit something? He hit 50 once. He hit 50 once, right? And he's, you know... And I don't know if he stole 50 bases, though. That's what I wasn't sure about. And I thought about Eric Davis. He was kind of the guy. I don't think he ever hit 50, but, you know, he stole 70 bases, yeah. definitely, and he had the power. And then pretty much everybody else on, on your list. So, <laughs> man, did, but Junior, I don't remember Junior stealing 50 bases. Uh, oh, so, all right, well, I'm gonna, I'll, go, I'll go Alex Rodriguez. Jamie, I uh, will now give you the satisfaction of telling us how wrong we are. <laughs> Is there any chance that it was Willie Mays or A-Rod? Both are very good guesses, and both are very common guesses to this question. But, but. <laughs> but unfortunately, neither one. Okay, really? So did, the, did we get any of them, even in our extra guesses? Willie Mays definitely had one. He, he definitely had one of those years. He had a 50-20? I don't think he ever stole 50 bases. I, I don't think Mays ever stole. Yeah, I think he had a 50 homer, 20 steal, but he didn't do it the other way around. Uh, yeah. All that, like we're 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 right around it. But you, did you, you didn't tell us who the answer is? Yes. So it was one of the names that you mentioned, and it was oh. Brady Anderson of the Baltimore. Oh, wow. Brady Anderson. Nice. He had a crazy home run year where he hit 50, and then prior to that, he had a, a 2050 season. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Let let let's call on our new mayor of Starkville, Mayor Tim, uh, uh, Mr. Mayor. Any chance that you have a cool Brady Anderson highlight you can play us? Of course I do. So just to bring you guys up to date on the on the years, 1992, Brady Anderson, 21 homers, 53 stolen bases. 1996, wow. of course, his famous 50 home run season, yeah. uh, 25 more than he ever hit in another season, and he stole 21 bases that year. For his career, 210 homers, 315 stolen bases. So let's go back to 1996. His big 50 home run season, early on in that season, he really got things going with a four-game stretch against the Red Sox and then a three-game series with the Rangers where he led off four consecutive games with a homer. Here's a listen. 
Brady hits a high drive deep to right field. This one is way back there. Back at the scoreboard. This one is gone. A home run for Anderson. Brady gets a hold of one, hits it high in the air to deep right field, away back and out of here. Oh my, he gets a hold of one again, deep to right field, way back. It's gone, his third consecutive leadoff home run. It's deja vu all over again. He drills this one to right, he hit it well. Oh my, unbelievable, Brady Anderson for the fourth consecutive game has hit a leadoff home run. In that third game, the middle game against Texas, he actually had two homers in that game. So he had five homers oh. over the four-game stretch, and he was off and running. That was in, in mid-April to get that season going. That, wow. that was Mel Proctor on the call for the Orioles, I believe. Uh, what a crazy year. Brady Anderson, human trivia answer. And, you know, oh, I nice. talked myself out of him. I'd looked, at, I looked at him recently for something I was doing, and I noticed that after he hit 50 homers he never hit 20 again so i had it in my head that he never actually had a 20 homer season but did have a 50 homer season oh well yeah, we always find ways to talk good ourselves question. out of these right answers uh, anyway <laughs> let we're gonna let jamie go on with the rest of his life uh, but jamie congratulations uh loved your question and you milked this for way more than 15 <laughs> seconds of fame so uh, nice going <laughs> great thanks a lot guys appreciate it have a good day Thanks, Jamie. Great having you here, man. Thanks. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. Uh, yeah, so next week, this could be you asking a question and making us look as clueless as we did today. Um, and we'll tell you how to do that a little later in this podcast. But first, you know, one thing we try to do in this segment is we use the trivia question uh, to inspire a topic for the show. So, Doug... Let's think about some active players who could join this club. Uh, you know, we don't have any active players who've even, who've done either of these. Uh, did, nobody's had the fifty homer twenty steal season. Nobody's had the twenty homer fifty steal season. And one problem we've got is nobody steals fifty anymore. Now, Jose Altuve no. has done it. D. Gordon did it several times. Uh, Jonathan VR, I think, the last to do it. But uh, it's really hard yeah. to bet on the, the 2050. I, you know, I'll tell you a guy that I could actually see maybe hitting 20 and stealing 50 is Trey Turner. But here's what I think we should do. Let's let's think of who could hit 50 and steal 20. Um, here, here's my list. I, I've got Christian Yelich, Cody Bellinger, Ronald Acuna Jr., and Mike Trout. Doug, who you got? That sounds about right, actually. Acuna Jr. jumps out at the, out at me, really. Uh, I don't know, maybe Tatis, you know, Jr. can, and maybe he just kind of gets some magic going early on in San Diego, and uh, you know, gets the power stroke going. But uh, certainly not going to happen in 2020, so we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> but 60 games, <laughs> no. But yeah. yeah, the idea of being this power guy early. And then, or, or like racking up the steals while you still have it, and then still being able to be prolific as a home run hitter. I mean, you have to be really young. That's why I, I like Acuna Jr. on that list. But uh, Yelich, if you kind of put it on his radar, maybe he'll think about it and say, hmm, maybe try that. Now that you gave me the trivia question, I might actually do this. <laughs> uh, or Mike Trout. So, yeah, yeah he, good list. Yep, yep. Yelich went 44 and 30 last yeah. year. 44 homers, 30 steals. So it's well within his grasp. Again, not this year. Uh, Bellinger was 47 homers, 15 steals yeah, last year. So they're right there. 
not impossible there. Trout, you know, Trout stole 49 a few years ago. I'll never do that again, but he could certainly hit 50. Yep. If he decided he wanted to run, he could certainly steal 20. But I am with you on Acuna. Uh, like the heck with 50-20. Couldn't that guy do 50-50? He can do anything he wants on a baseball field. Yeah, he is. Um, it's, it's like almost a switch that he can turn on. And, you know, you could see, like, as a young player, he got stressed out when he was knocking on the door. I guess it was 30-30 or 40-40, whatever. He was, he was flirting right around that. 44. And he, yep, yeah, 44. so he kind of started to tail off a little bit. And, you know, but as he, you know, matures and starts to really come into his own in, in managing that, uh, I mean, the sky's the limit. Because he certainly independently could steal 50 or independently hit 50. Uh, it's just that zone he'll have to be in to do it in one season. But the talent is yeah. absolutely there. Yeah, if I was going to buy stock in anybody in the game right now, I would buy it in him. Doug, I love involving our listeners in the show. And so this week, for the second straight week, we're going to take a question from a listener. A reminder, you can email us questions at Starkville at theathletic.com. This week's question comes from Kyle Alford, and he writes, Hey, Jason and Doug, I'm a big fan of the show. And I love the coverage. My question is, considering the taxi squad of players that each team will have at their disposal this season, how would you all fill out the majority of those spots? With seasoned veterans ready to step in and contribute? Or with top-level prospects that may still need some time but can't afford to take a year off in their development? Uh, Kyle went on to talk about how much he loves Starkville. Uh, We enjoy that kind of talk. I'm not going to read it all, but (laughs) Kyle, we appreciate it. And we appreciate the question. Um, Now, he obviously submitted it the other day before teams set their 60-man pools. But uh, Kyle, it's a great question, and I don't think there's a simple answer that works for all 30 teams. Uh, If you take a team like the Padres, uh, loaded with prospects uh, on the rise, look at their list. They included every one of their top 15 prospects, everyone who was healthy anyway. And I think that tells you something about the depth of their system and just their philosophy in general. Their prospects represent both their future and their present. So it's obvious they decided in a season in which uh, the minor league season isn't going to happen, they couldn't afford to sacrifice a year of development for any of their prospects their best young players. So if they need reinforcements this season, they're almost certainly going to reach into that prospect pool for almost all of them. But not every team did it like that. We mentioned the Cubs. Almost no young players, or, I'm sorry, almost none of their top young position player prospects. Uh, the Mets, uh, another example of a team that's all in to win now. Almost none of their top prospects on their list. Um, you know, I think teams like the Mets and Cubs believe there will be some opportunities for young players to play later in the year. They might expand the Arizona Fall League. There might be some other kind of uh, prospects-type league. But you know what? I, I think if I were running a team, I would want to make sure that my best young players were in my camp. Uh, just because for a player with a bright future, I just wouldn't want to risk having them miss an entire season of baseball. That's how I would look at it, Doug. You were a hot prospect once. How would you handle this? Yeah, I mean, as as a prospect, you absolutely want this opportunity. I mean, I I think back to the discussion around 
expanded rosters in September. Uh, you know, he had 40-man roster. You can have you bring up all these players, and people were frustrated. You can bring in, you know, you have eight lefties on the bench in September, and you can mix and match. But that was an opportunity that you may not ever get again as a young prospect to get called up, and you had that expansion. And now you have these expanded taxi squad rosters where you also are looking at it from a developmental standpoint and some assurances because you know there's there's going to be some health questions for players and you're never going to predict who may be afflicted by the virus or what the the rules may be in terms of um you know how well they're executing the safety protocols for example uh and so that is a little bit of a guessing game but each team it they're in different circumstances and if you are a team that has a lot of free agents and you have a lot of questions about retention you're weighing all these things heavily in these short terms. So case-by-case uh, by case basis, city-by-city city basis, and they're going to have to, they're going to need a little bit of good fortune too for, um, you know, not to lose players for, for health concerns. And, uh, but I know that young players, because of that upside, they get out of the gate quickly if they get a chance to play and they're excited and they, you know, I mean, you, you go 30 and 10, you're winning this division, right? That's it. Uh, so a hot That's month right. and literally everything changes. And, you know, young players can pull that off just on the, the sheer energy and the sheer unknown on how to play it, you know, to, to defend them. So uh, I'm excited to see how this will go, but we uh, we really don't know the, the possibilities, but they are limitless. We do not. Um, all right. One more thing before we get out of here. Uh, our friend Bob Klappish, a great longtime baseball writer, wrote a column the other day for NJ.com. Yeah. And he listed five people he thinks would be perfect candidates <laughs> to succeed Rob Manfred as commissioner. Now, he had Joe Torre on his list and Bob Costas. David Cohn and Bobby Valentine were on there. And his, this, and his fifth name was some guy named Doug Glanville. <laughs> what? Yeah, <laughs> I, talked I, would, about... I would have voted for Costas, so that's all right. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Doug, he talked about your wisdom your gift for diplomacy, uh, how even though you've been out of the game for a while, you're still relatable to young players. So, Doug, how large a check did you have to write to include <laughs> you on that list? <laughs> oh, yeah, it was like, you know, $5, you know, just a, a dinner at the, the T-neck diner back in the day <laughs> or maybe Starkville diner. Yeah well, yeah, well, Bob, you know, we have a lot of history there. I And I think it's – I look back and I have a great appreciation because I played summer league ball – in North Jersey in this league called the Metropolitan League, the Met League. And it was a great experience. First of all, they used wood bats. So I kind of got that experience early on. Uh, there was a lot of veteran players who some had minor league experience that had known the Jersey circuit. And, and Jersey has, you know, it's big on baseball. All these small towns had teams. So I learned a lot about, you know, how to approach the game, professionalism. And as a young player, you know, 18, 19, playing against my brother in some games, I had to do a lot of observing and less talking, and but I found that I got along well as a, as all the different generations of players, from prospects to college players to some of the veterans, and uh, so I got to know Bob Klappish, who was who was a tough pitcher by the way, a little sidearm, you know, action, and and I you know I picked up a lot, and of course you know once he started covering the game more and more, I got a better appreciation for his craft also off the field. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's appreciated. I'm, I'm around a lot of young people. I teach courses in college, and that does keep me current and fresh and thinking through what are the concerns of that generation. 
And, uh, and I certainly see the sport as a place of setting example uh, for our country, for our world, in the best of what teams can be, you know, especially as how diverse baseball is. I thought uh, all that comes together at a time that, you know, the commissioner could play a really significant role, uh, especially setting the tone around all the uncertainty around playing in a health crisis. You know, you need great leadership. And, um, you know, so right now I'm, I'm in the media, I'm in the ear of, of, of uh, people and kind of like plant seeds and write articles. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's a tall order, Bob, to be Rob Manfred. So I, it's a tough job. And for now, I'll let him do it. And then I'll let Bob Costas do it. And uh, I'll be the, I'll be the, maybe the right hand man in the corner whispering. Uh-huh. All right. Well, now that, now that you've laid out your credentials and Costas's credentials, there's one question left to ask. What about me? <laughs> yeah, you're actually, you guys are trying to horn in on my inside track to be the next commissioner. Yeah, um, you'd be great. After, yeah, it's already been established. I am officially the people's choice. Yeah, right. By people, we mean John Greenberg's Twitter following. <laughs> but like as we mentioned a couple weeks ago, John Greenberg put up a Twitter poll: uh, who should be the, the commissioner? And I won. I won the poll. You did I beat win. Ed Costas. I beat Ed Ken Rosenthal. I even beat out Ozzy Guillen. Doug, <laughs> the people have spoken, and my friend, they were not saying Glanville. No, I wasn't in the poll though. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would co co uh, commissioner with you, and we could have like a Starkville episode live from the commissioner's <laughs> office. Uh, that would yeah, be a blast. Yeah, how long would we last? <laughs> that would be that. Uh, all right, that's going to do it for this week's Starkville. Uh, let's remind you again, Starkville is now available in its entirety, absolutely free everywhere you get your podcasts. So be sure to subscribe and follow Starkville at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, tune in pretty much everywhere you find your podcasts. And of course, you can still find us at the Athletic app and the Athletic website. And if you'd like to read our sparkling work or the sparkling work of any of our amazing writers, there is still no better sports writer going on anywhere these days than you'll find in The Athletic. So if you have thought about subscribing, you can get 40% off a one-year subscription by going to theathletic.com slash Starkville. Also remember, you too can be part of this podcast, just like Jamie Pridmore today. Uh, we are now inviting the listener who submits the most fun trivia question of the week to join us right here on the podcast and achieve way more than the 15 seconds of fame that that honor used to be worth. <laughs> so you might want to think about it. Just need to submit a great baseball trivia question. You're probably thinking, gee, how would I do that? Well, you, we have an email inbox. You could submit questions that way. That's Starkville at theathletic.com, Starkville with an E on the end. Uh, or you can do what most people do, send in those questions via Twitter. You can send them to Doug Glanville at? At Doug Glanville, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. All right. Since we're spelling here, you would tweet at me at J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. That's Jason S-T. Uh, just remember to hashtag those questions, StarkvilleQS. All right, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Len Casper and Jim Deshays for yeah. visiting us. Thanks to Jamie Pridmore for the trivia question. Thanks to our new mayor, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. We'll see you next week on Starkville. Starkville.